Lord Jesus Christ, may the words of my lips be about your praise this day. May we take all of our idols and cast them aside. And may we be singularly focused on you as Lord of all creation. To you we give glory and honor who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Um, Several years ago, you may may know the name, Bishop Allison. Uh, He was uh, teaching, doing a teaching here in the Diocese of South Carolina, former bishop of this diocese. He is a man with a very sharp intellect. If you've ever heard him teach, you've been blessed by it. But he's also this southern genteel sort of fella. And he's got this wonderful southern drawl to him. And as he was teaching this one congregation in our diocese, he came to a crescendo in his talk. And as he really got worked up and the teaching progressed, he said the main trouble with all peoples, including religious peoples in this world, is adultery, adultery, adultery. And everybody nodded their heads like, yeah, go for it, Bishop. That's awesome. But there was one person who was not from South Carolina, and that was the young curate at this church. And he turns to the rector and says, why is Bishop Allison so upset about the Dollar Tree out near Harris Teeter? (laughs) To which the rector replied to his associate, he's condemning idolatry, not the Dollar Tree. And so... We're talking about this, not that, okay? We're talking about idolatry today. And in spite of the confusion, idolatry is one of the greatest spiritual threats that any of us ever have to endure. John Calvin, the great Protestant thinker and reformer, said this, that the human heart is a factory of idols. Every one of us from our mother's womb is in an expert in inventing idols. Remember the first idol ever in the scriptures? It comes to us very early. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. Remember Eve as she stared at this beautiful fruit tree? And she said this. Uh, it says that when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and then it was a delight to the eyes. I mean, it was awesome. And, and the tree was good to make one wise as God was wise. She took some of the fruit. And she ate it and gave it to her husband, and he ate it. You see what's happening there? It's from the very earliest, uh, no, uh, earliest of scriptures. The beauty and the splendor of the fruit of the tree was more beautiful and more splendid than the God who created the tree, and that's idolatry. Whenever we exchange the love that we're rightly designed to have for the Most High God, and we give it to something in the created order, that's idolatry. That's what Eve was doing. That's what Paul warns us about in Romans. Chapter 2, 1, verse 21 and 25, he says this about a people who had fallen into idolatry. He says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified God nor gave Him thanks. But instead, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worshipped and served created things rather than their creator. Wow. Exchanging our rightful love for God that we're all designed to have for something in this created order. That's idolatry. And it doesn't matter who you are. uh, We're all prone to it. Bob Dylan in 1979 wrote a wonderful song about it. 
He said, you got to love somebody. Hit the top 25. And here were his words. He said this. He said, you've got to love somebody, serve somebody. Indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. And that's true, right? So that's the picture of the two roads dividing in the wilderness, the choices that we have. We can serve the Lord, the Most High God, or anything else in all of creation. And that's the choices that we see today in Joshua chapter 24. So the people of Israel, the Hebrews, are standing at a crossroads, a spiritual crossroads in their lives to either choose God or choose the other gods before them. If you'll remember at this point in the life of the ancient Hebrews, they've already been in Egypt about 400 years before God hears their cry and releases them from bondage. So that's part of their history. And in Exodus 20, as soon as they are freed from bondage in Egypt, God defines his relationship with them. He says this, I am the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods except me, for I am a jealous God. I'm a jealous God, he says. In other words, I'm an exclusive God. I won't battle you for your loves. I alone am your love, your first love. Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment that any of us learn. Love God first. Put him first. Put him first in your marriage. How many of you do that? Put him first in your business. Put him first in your family. Put him first in your church. Make church a priority to worship him as Lord every Sunday. He's saying, I want all of you, not just a piece of you, okay? So that's the same choice before any of us this morning. And in Joshua chapter 24, it becomes clear. This one man, Joshua, stands up to address the people of God that morning. And now Joshua is not the young, vibrant military leader he once was. He's 110 years old. He's gone through all the battles for the Lord. He has seen Jericho fall down at the hand of the mighty Lord God. He has seen those things. And he's full of this wisdom. And he wants to impart to his people their fidelity and trust in the Most High God. And he does that at Shechem. He calls them at Shechem. Now, why would this 110-year-old man be standing before the people, telling them to put aside all their idols at Shechem? Because it was a special place. Imagine if one of our presidents got up to speak to the people at Valley Forge or at Gettysburg. That's the kind of history that we're talking about at Shechem. Abraham and Sarah once were at Shechem, and God said, look at this land you're going to have inhabitants, and this is going to be their land. This is my promise to you. And Abram built an altar there, and they fell down and worshiped the Most High God. That's Shechem. That's Shechem. A couple generations later, his great-grandson Jacob would be at Shechem. And he would see his granddaddy's altar, and he would call the people back to a sense of purity, of worship to the Most High God. And he tell, told them that day at Shechem, Put away all your idols and change your garments and recommit your lives to God alone. That was Shechem. 
And so Jacob, it says in Genesis 34, 35, 4, took all their pagan idols and all their earrings, and he dug a hole and buried them under a tree at Shechem. And so it is that this 110-year-old man named Joshua stands before his people in his day, in his time, and he says to them at Shechem, he says these words. He says in chapter 24, verse 14, Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord alone. And if this is evil to your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you shall serve, whether the gods of your fathers that they served back in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now dwell. But choose this day whom you shall serve. So Shechem is a choice. It's a, it's a proving ground. It's a place where the 110-year-old man's imparting wisdom that it's now our time to put up or shut up. It's our time to stop talking the talk and to start walking the walk. It's go time. Choose this day whom you shall serve, he says. And there are two choices, he says. There are the old gods, the gods beyond the rivers, those were the gods that Abraham grew up with before the Lord God alone called him to follow him alone. Those were the gods of Babylon, of today Iraq. He said, you can follow those ancient gods that Abraham and his gen generation once followed. He said, you can follow the gods of Egypt from we, which we just came. Remember one of the first things they did in Exodus after they got out of bondage? Under Aaron's leadership, they threw all their jewelry into a big old molten pot and out popped this calf god. And they began to worship the god. And Moses comes down from the mountain after spending time with God and said, What are y'all doing? You're worshiping the old calf god from back in Egypt. And so Joshua said, You can worship those old gods. Or you can worship the new gods of the Amorites, of, of the fertility cults all around you in the land that we're about to inhabit. Baal and Ashtaroth and all the fertility gods and goddesses. Or you can worship the Most High God. And so there are two warnings there. You can worship the old gods of your ancestors in 2414. Did you know that the English word for worship comes from the older word which means worth? It means to ascribe to something or someone or a deity the worth and honor due its name. To give your praise and your honor and your glory to say that this thing is worth my worship. And so Martin Luther was to say about this. He said, whatever, whatever your heart clings to and confides in, that is your God. Because you're saying this is worthy of my worship. Whatever you cling to, what your heart confides in, that which, from which you draw comfort, that's your God. So I ask you today. As the new people, to make a choice. Uh, if someone were to say to you, to your child, your spouse, your co-worker, your friend, if they were to say, if I were to ask them to write down on a sheet of paper what you ascribe most value to in your life, what would they put down? What would they say that you hold most dear and most important? What do you confide in? What, do your heart, what your, does your heart cling to? Because that's your God. That's your God. And the Hebrews clung to those old gods. Beyond the Euphrates River, back in Babylon, the ones of Egypt that they just came from. 
So sometimes we pass the gods and goddesses down to our children, just as we do our hair color. Sometimes our children will get our hair color. Sometimes they'll get mama's eyes, and sometimes they'll get our idols. So be careful what you're ascribing worth to in your life, because you're teaching your children what they are to worship, okay? You oftentimes give them your idols. And so if you're an alcoholic or a workaholic, or if you're the child of an alcoholic or a workaholic, beware, because idols can be passed to the next generation. If your mama or daddy ascribed honor to the business, the family business, or some degree at some university that they achieved and said, you've got to do the same thing, make that your idol, then what they were doing was passing down an idol to you. And you've got to be aware of that. My father was a, a womanizer, and he was not faithful to my mother. And I've got to be uh, aware that that's one of the idols that he passed down to me, and I've got to guard against that. So Joshua is saying, guard against what your ancestors worshipped. And sometimes, if you take those gods with you into your life here and now, they will blind you from seeing the real life of the living God in your midst. The old idols can blind you from seeing the living God. Years ago, <clears throat> at St. Helena's, when I was a curate, I remember our youth group was growing, and we wanted at the annual parish meeting to have a representative from the youth group to give his witness and testimony to about 300 adults at that meeting. And this young man did a great job. I never could have done that at 17 years of age, but he did a great job. He said, I'll, uh, a year ago, I didn't know Jesus, but through this youth group, I met Jesus face to face, and I gave him all my sins and all my frustrations, and they were crucified. And he raised me up a new creature, and he said, I'm so full of peace and joy right now, I can't even explain it to you. There wasn't a dry eye in the entire congregation after this young man spoke, except for one man who pulled me to the side after the meeting in the kitchen and said, did you see that young man? And I said, well, yeah, I did. And he said, did you see that tattoo on the man's arm? And I said, well, no, not really, because I was listening to what he had to say about the Most High God. And he said, did you see that other thing? I said, what, do you, what are you talking about? He said, did you see that he wore a hat in God's holy house? My goodness, how disrespectful that was. And I said, did you listen to what that man said about his testimony before the living God? He said, no, I didn't listen. I was livid at what he was wearing. You see what happened? His parents had passed down to him a tradition of man. And he had made that a God. And because of that God that was passed down to him, the God of decorum, and how you should present yourself in the house of God, he was unable to see the living God. In his midst, a man-made God took the place of the real God. Jesus once said this to a religious group of folks in Mark chapter 7, and this was running through my mind while this guy was talking. He said this in Mark chapter 7. He quoted the prophet Isaiah, and he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. He's speaking to religious people here. In vain do they worship me, because they teach as doctrines the commandments of God. 
They leave the commandment of God and hold fast to the traditions of man. And isn't that what that guy was doing? He was unable to see the living God in his midst. He could only see the traditions of man. So that's the first category. Beware of the old gods. But Joshua also says in 24.15, Beware of the new gods, the ones of the Amorites, the ones in whose land you now dwell. These gods are more powerful than the old gods. Why is that? Because they have home court advantage. They're all around you. You're going to see them every day. They're going to be in your neighbor's uh, garden. They're going to be in your, your, your neighbor's life. Get ready because they're the prevailing winds of your culture. They're kind of like Aphrodite would be to our culture, okay? That's the goddess of love. And in the modern-day culture, as the winds of the culture blow, we say silly things like, well, sex before marriage is, is not that bad a thing. In fact, if you love the person, it's a beautiful thing. After all, everyone in our culture does it. That's the kind of thing, the God of the Amorites, the God of the culture, that we're warned against in Joshua. People say, well, it's okay to live together before marriage. I mean, we try out our cars and we test drive those and we see if we like them before we commit. Let's do it with our relationships, for goodness sake. Everybody in our culture does it, right? Well, that's what Joshua's warning us about. Don't look like everyone in your culture. Follow the Lord your God. C.S. Lewis once predicted over 50 years ago that... We who say that God is love will one day end up turning that around and making love our God. Here's what he said in uh, Mere Christianity. He said, of course, these modern people mean when they say God is love, what they often mean is something quite different. They really mean that love is God. They really mean that their feelings of love, however and wherever they arise, and whatever results they produce are to be treated with great respect by everyone. Love becomes God. Remember what God had said in his definition of himself. He said, I love you, and I'm a jealous God, and I want your love, and I know what's best for you, and I call the shots for you. Follow me. Follow me. Not these other gods. So our culture is tied up in love of a lot of things. Uh, TV, the movies, Xbox, other forms of entertainment, Facebook, Snapchat. Now, all of these things are uh, things that I enjoy too, okay? But when we get so consumed and engrossed in them that they become our gods, then we've lost the worship of the one true God. Celebrity icons like Caitlyn Jenner, we see them on billboards and in checkout stands all around you. And Joshua said, beware of those gods in the new land, the new gods, because they'll be with you on every side. But Paul said this in Romans 12. He said, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind in Christ Jesus. And J.B. Phillips said, likewise, in commenting on this verse, he said, don't let the world squeeze you into its own mold so that you'll look like the world. So whether it's the old gods or whether it's the new gods, they all struggle for your affection. But there's a third alternative. You don't have to choose the old gods. You don't have to choose the new gods. You can choose the true God this morning. 
You can put all those gods away, the gods of your ancestors that they passed down to you, the new gods that you find in the culture all around you. You can bury them in the ground today, but not at Shechem and not under a tree as Jacob did. You can bury them at Calvary under a tree called the cross of Christ, the tree on which he shed his blood and suffered on your behalf so that he might make all things new for you, a place where you can leave all your idols behind and worship him afresh today. The good news is that you can bring your sins and your idols to this altar and leave them under that cross. The promise is this, if you'll do that. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he becomes a new creation. The old way of doing things has passed away. The new relationship with the one true God has come. In Romans 6, 6, Paul assures us, if the old self is crucified with Jesus in order that this body of sin might be brought to nothing, we are no longer slaves to sin any longer. You don't have to stand as slaves to sin. Choose this day whom you shall serve, the 110-year-old Joshua said. But he also said, as for me and my household, we're going to serve the Lord. Will you join me in standing for Jesus in your culture, in your family, in your business? Will you leave behind the old gods and goddesses of your ancestors and forsake those gods and goddesses of the present culture? Put them away. Bury them under the cross. And I'll leave you with one more word of advice. This comes from Tim Keller's book, The Counterfeit Gods. I highly recommend it to each and every one of you. He says this. He says, is there any hope for us? Yes. It is when we begin to realize that idols cannot simply be removed, they must be replaced. If you only try and uproot them, they'll grow back. But they can be supplanted by God himself, of course. You see, we have a God-shaped hole in all of our hearts. And we can stuff all those idols and pack it down as hard as we press it. But they'll leave us lonely and depressed the next day. Only by filling the heart with Jesus can you really forsake the idols. The idols of your ancestors and the idols all around you. So today, I call you to make a stand. Choose this day whom you shall serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord.